Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, the first chapter. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number, I want to start somewhere around verse number 11, but it's right in the middle of a, of a, of a, a long paragraph. Let's, let's just start in verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might, to get, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on, on the earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now here's the verse I wanted to get to this verse and the next verse. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I want you to notice here, he said that he was among those who first, Paul's talking, about those who first trusted in Christ. And then he said to the church there in Ephesus, he said, in him you also trusted. But what made them trust in Christ? They trusted in him when they heard the word of truth the gospel. And, and then it says, having heard, you believed. You see, trusting equals believing. Where there is no trust, there is no faith. It's really impossible to fully trust anything that you don't believe in, that you don't value. I remember, now some of you younger people won't remember this, but I remember in the early 1970s when microwave oven, ovens came out. This goes back a ways. No, young people, they did not always exist. I remember when microwave oven, ovens came out and I don't remember exactly my impressions at first, but I remember in the early 70s, I was sitting in the break room at the telephone company building where I was working out of, and, and there were several of us coworkers, and we were all in our 20s. And we were sitting with our supervisor, and he was having a break with us, and he was an older man in his 50s or 60s. And we were talking about a manna had come out with Amana's radar range. Do you remember that? That was their brand, the radar range. Yeah. 
And we were laughing about the fact that a lot of people would not have a microwave in their house. They were scared of them. Because remember, don't leave the door ajar. You can, radiation will come out. The food is cooked by radiation of radio waves, energy. But the old timers, when they thought of radiation, they thought of atomic bombs. I'm not having that thing in my house. I'm not having that radiation. You telling me you're gonna cook your food with radiation? It'll poison the whole family. And we were laughing about how, how absurd that was. And I remember our, our supervisor, he said, boys, what you don't remember, he said, I remember even back further, I guess he got this from his parents or grandparents. He said, I remember when people were afraid to have electricity in their house. And if you, if you go back and, and you think back in history, a lot of buildings burned down in the early days when electricity really first began to be put into homes and buildings and so because the, the wiring was so terrible. I remember going to Angela's grandparents' house, her grandma over in, in Newberry, right after we had gotten married. So this was in the 70s. And in their house, they had swinging from the ceiling two wires connected to a little porcelain fixture with a bare light bulb in it, suspended from the ceiling and running over to the wall with a little switch there. But I also remember in other houses that were of, of my grandparents in their days, a lot of times there wasn't a switch on the wall. There was a string hanging down or a, or a chain, usually a string hanging down from that little porcelain fixture. And the two wires are just connected to the top of that fixture and, you know, you pull it on the thing, turn it, and you'd go into a room at night, you know, you'd had to kind of feel around in the dark, you know, you, you hit the string and you'd get it to slow down, you pull. Well, you know, sometimes those things would come loose, the fixtures would come loose, and you have shorted wires, or you could blow fuses, you know, that was before breakers, they had the old paper-bound, you know, copper fuse, and there'd be sparks, and a lot of those houses were built out of fat lighter, basically, you know, just heart pine. And so a lot of houses burned down and a lot of people were afraid to have electricity in their house. Oh no, you're not bringing that devil wire in my house. <laughs> they didn't trust it because they didn't understand it. They didn't trust it because they didn't, they didn't understand its value. They weren't acquainted with it. And when it comes to trusting God, many people cannot believe God or his promises because they really don't trust him. A lack of faith and the inability to fully trust God in the affairs of life stems primarily from a lack of understanding of the character of God. You have these illustrations. Well, you know, you never know what God's gonna do. I used to hear that growing up. You just never know what God's, you can pray and you can ask whatever you want to, but you never really know what God's gonna do. And sometimes, when, not just sometimes, but I would say many times, when somebody was going through a particularly difficult, 
crisis in life or, or something of that nature. Maybe a severely handicapped child was born or someone had a severely debilitating disease of some kind. People would say, well, just remember, God never puts more on us than we can handle. Come on now, you've heard that. Everybody in here has heard that. Well, you just, you know, God just, you have to just, you just have to trust God that he'll not put more on us than, than we can bear. And so the reason, again, people can't fully trust God is they're not really sure what he'll do. There are a lot of people who aren't coming to Christ or making a full surrender to Christ because they're afraid of what he'll do to them if they did. They're afraid he will send them to a far place, to the dark jungles of South America or the Amazon basin and have to be chased around by pygmies or something. You know, I don't know. They're just afraid, well, if I make a full surrender, what will God require of me? We need to get acquainted with who God is. Amen. You know, James, you don't have to turn there, but James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Everything good, everything good comes down from God what the Bible says and then it says that he never changes with whom there is no variation or shadow of changing I'm up here this morning and if you're close by you can see my shadow that shadow sort of replicates me it sort of looks like me a little bit I mean you could you might could make my shadow out from somebody else's but it, it, it's not a real good representation of me. The word says there's no variation with God, not even a shadow of change, let alone a changing. Let alone does God not change, not even a shadow. We, hear, we, we use the expression sometimes, I don't have a shadow of a doubt. That means less than a doubt. I, I don't even have anything like a doubt that such and such would happen. With God, there is no variation, not even anything like him changing. And he, he only gives good things. Glory to God. That would help people immeasurably. If they would just get the revelation down in their heart that God will never give you, require of you, ask of you, do in you, or have anything to do with you that's anything other than good. And perfect. Not just good, but perfect for you. Just right for you. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. We can easily trust someone to do something which we know to be characteristic of them. I remember when years ago when our pastor in Jacksonville before we went to Bible school, we had a, a pastor, a word of faith pastor. His name was Ron House. 
And he was a tremendous blessing to my wife and me before we went to Ramah, while we were at Ramah, after we graduated from Bible school and came back to this area and started the church. He was just a constant source of encouragement. And, uh, and he would come to High Springs. He lived in Jacksonville. He would come to High Springs every now and then and visit us. Huh? See, now she didn't know what I was preaching this morning. She hadn't looked at my notes. And she said, as long as he had pie. He knew he was getting a peanut butter pie. He knew it. He didn't, he didn't have to think about it. He knew that when he came to our house, my wife would prepare a peanut butter pie for Ron House. He never doubted it because that's what she did. Now, she didn't necessarily do that for me. <laughs> I, I, I could only get peanut butter pies when somebody like Ron House came over. Or occasionally, okay, occasionally for holidays. So, well, well she, she said, we don't need peanut butter pies. That's not the point. It's <laughs> so a lot of things we don't need, but you still like to have a piece every now and then. I could, I could give the rest away, and I don't think I'd have a problem finding anybody to take the rest of. But my point is, Ron House always knew. He expected now, he was grateful, don't misunderstand me, but he expected to find peanut butter pie when he came to our house because he knew that was characteristic of Angela to do that for him. Go with me over to the 145th Psalm. Psalm 145. <clears throat> Let's start in verse number seven. It says, they shall utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Now we know that the Old Testament had more of a severe uh, presentation sometimes of God. And that was one thing that tripped the nation of Israel up and, and, and caused them to stumble sometimes at Jesus' presentation of God because Jesus came on the scene presenting a God of love. And, and the epistles take that even a step further. Over in 1 John, it says, God is love. That's the chief characteristic of God, is he is love. And this is what this passage here is talking about. Even in the, even in the days of the, of the Old Testament, it says here that the Lord is gracious and full, full of compassion. 
I looked up the word compassion years ago. I've got new dictionaries now. I don't know if the definitions changed, but I'll just stick with what I had before. To have compassion means to love tenderly. It means to pity, to show mercy. And this last one I really like. It means to be full of eager yearning. To be full, to have compassion is to be full of eager yearning to do good, to show mercy. And it says here in Psalm 145 that God and Jesus is full, full of mercy. Oh, glory to God. F.F. Bosworth in, in his classic book, Christ the Healer. If you haven't read it, we always keep a copy or two in the bookstore. If you haven't read that book, I strongly recommend you get it. It's a true classic. And I'll, I'll quote a couple of times from here today. One, one quotation, he said, he said, it is not what God can do, but what we know he yearns to do that inspires faith. That's why on, on the last few services, I've been, I've been hammering on this idea that people who say, well, I know, you know, you know, some difficult situation and they get all stirred up and they say, well, I know God's able. That is not a statement of faith. That's, it's half faith and half hope. And it won't work. Because it's not what we know God can do, like Bosworth said. It's what we know that he eagerly yearns to do for us. That's what inspires faith. And here it says that he is full of compassion. Our God is a God who is teeming and overflowing with compassion. It is the chief characteristic of God. Above everything you see in the Bible, of all of the attributes of God, there's nothing more uh, inherent. There is nothing more basic. There is nothing more fundamental and, and, and overreaching in all of God's characteristics as his compassion and love. God is love. He is full of compassion. The first part of verse 8 says, the Lord is gracious. That's a good combination to have with compassion. I mean, to be full of compassion is, 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 you could just spend all day talking about that. But not only is he full of compassion, he's gracious. The, you know what grace is? Everybody say it, say it, two words. Come on, say it again loud. Unmerited favor. Everybody knows what that is. God is that's using grace as a noun. Gracious, is that an adjective or an adverb? It's an adjective, I think. Adjective. It, des it, it describes someone who has that characteristic. And so when it says God is gracious, that means he is disposed to show favors. That's his disposition. Have you ever known, can you think of someone who has certain dispositions, whether good or bad? Can you think, and you, you think of somebody, you just think, 
That person is a blank. He could be a liar, could be a friend. I remember a kid in school, he would lie when he didn't need to. He just, he would just lie. He would just make up stuff when just the truth would have been wonderful, but it wasn't good enough. He would lie. And so we would, we would, we would uh, get together and we would try to, to, to tease more lies out of him just to see how preposterous. I mean, if you said to this guy, you know, I used to have a dog and he had three ears. He said, I have one had four ears. It was never enough. He would just lie. I don't think we ever said that, but I'm just using that as an illustration. He was disposed to lie. I know now he had a lying spirit. I didn't know then. So we used to, you know, egg that on, you know. And, and I knew another friend that I grew up with and, and he had that same kind of lying spirit and, and it manifested all through the rest of his life. But the thing is, those people were disposed. It was their disposition. God's disposition is he shows favors. He grants favor. He's full of compassion. Now put those two together. He's full of compassion and he's disposed to show favors. See, if I could get that across to, to, to some people who struggle with their ability to receive from God, if I could get that truth, if, it could, if I could somehow get it to go off on the inside of it, it would change their whole life. There are people who know God heals. There are people that know it's God's will sitting right here in this church. But for some reason, they won't lay hold of it themselves. They don't think they're worthy. They think they don't have enough faith. They think it's all about them. You need to get your eyes on God and, and saturate yourself with the understanding that God is full of compassion. And he's disposed to act on that. That's his, I mean, that's his default. Without, without thinking about it, God's just, he just shows favor. It's not like he has to think about it and decide whether he'll. It's just a natural thing for God to, to show favor, to give grace, to bless. It's his heart. That's his heart. That's who he is. Oh, glory to God. Go with me to Micah. Micah is uh, right after Jonah and right before Habakkuk. It's on page 820 in my Bible. Micah, go to the seventh chapter. Oh, I love this passage. Oh, my, my. Glory, glory, glory. Verse 18, we'll start in verse 18. It says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Hallelujah. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths 
of the sea, O glory. But notice the latter part of verse number 11, or verse, excuse me, verse number 18. Because he delights in mercy. Mercy doesn't, God doesn't grudgingly offer mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be coerced. He doesn't have to be persuaded to, to be merciful. He likes it. He likes it. God likes, he likes having mercy. It, it, it's rewarding to him. It, God is the happiest when he's able to show mercy. It, it's the thing that, that, that really winds his clock. Just to be able to show mercy, to be merciful. He delights in it. Oh, glory. Again, if I could get people, just get people to have their eyes changed and open just a little bit to see how, how strong and how sure God wants to bless and to meet your needs. Second Chronicles says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are loyalty to him. His, he's, his, he's searching. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's constantly looking for opportunities That's why you've heard me say, Brother Steve said it this morning, to say God is willing to heal is too tame. He's not just willing to heal, he's eager to heal. He delights in showing mercy. Amen? Amen. Bosworth says he is ever hunting for opportunities to gratify his benevolent heart because he delights in mercy. Oh, glory to God. What will God's compassion cause him to do? If God is compassionate, if he's full, if he's spilling over with compassion, and if it's his disposition to show favors, and he delights in mercy, what, what, what would that mean? What's, what's, the, what's the obvious outcome of that? Well, go with me to, to, Matt, to Mark chapter one. Let's see some examples. Mark chapter one. And let's look at the 40th verse. We've looked at this passage a couple of times, but I want to notice, I just want you to notice this. Mark 1, 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Do you think his eyes landed on this man? He's looking for an opportunity to show himself strong. He's looking for an opportunity to be merciful. And this man made himself available. See, not everybody makes themselves available. 
God's mercy can't reach everybody because they don't make themselves available. And one way they don't make themselves available is they don't trust him. They don't trust him. And they don't trust him because they haven't been acquainted with who he is. This leper came to him, kneeled down to him saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, now notice these words. Then Jesus moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed, be healed. Glory to God. You see, a lot of people, modern theology magnifies God's power. We sing the the charismatic sort of song we sang this morning, How Great Is Our God. That song is has been accepted in all the denominations. You know, even the frozen people, churches, you know, first church of the Frigidaires, you know. <laughs> they like that. Our, our, how does it go? How great is our God? The church loves to sing about how great God is and how powerful he is. But they don't, they don't like singing about what he'll do. This man came to Jesus and, and, and he said, because of his compassion, I want to heal you. See, the church, modern theology, says that in the, in the Bible, Jesus healed only as a sign to show his deity. Well, isn't it funny that he often told people, don't tell anybody. You ever notice how many times he said, don't tell anyone what I've done. He wasn't successful a lot of times. They told it anyway. I've noticed that the church loves to to talk about the miracles of the Bible. They love to talk about Noah and the great flood. If you get Bible, children's Bible story books and, and parents of all persuasions, you know, in churches, they give their children these Bible story books and it's all about how Noah you know, survived the flood. Talks about how Moses parted the Red Sea. How he smote the rock and water came out. How God fed his people, you know, with manna from heaven. They love to tell those stories. And they love to tell about Goliath's, David slaying Goliath with the slingshot. Oh, they love to tell that. It's God, it's great to have God work miracles in the Bible. They like to talk about Joshua stopping the sun. They like to talk about uh, Elisha turning the sundial back. Oh, they love to tell those stories. They get over in the New Testament and then they ramp it up a, a, a notch. And they tell story after story, miracle after miracle of Jesus. How he walked on the water. How he fed the multitudes with a little boy's lunch. They love to tell about how he raised the widow's son from the dead. They love to tell, uh, you know, how he, how he healed the sick. Now, I don't like to talk about casting out devils. Now, that won't be in the children's book. But they, they love a miracle working God as long as it's back then. They love it in the Old Testament. They love it in the Gospels. But they don't want to see it in church today. 
See, it's okay for God to be God back then, but, but like I said, the church magnifies his power, but they're real quiet on his willingness. And that's where you get the, you get the, 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 the tradition, the day of miracles has passed. See, they loved the miracles back then, but no, not today. But you see, God hasn't changed. That was, that was Mark chapter one. Go to Matthew 14. We'll, we'll try to wrap this up. Matthew 14. Let's just look at a couple more examples. Matthew 14. Hallelujah. Verse number 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. What does compassion lead God to do? Well, you see it right here. This is how God, this is one way he displays his compassion. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. Turn on over to the 20th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Notice these two blind men cried out for mercy. Have mercy, mercy, have mercy. Have mercy on us, O son of David, have mercy. He got Jesus' attention. His eyes running throughout the whole earth. God said, bingo, bingo. Notice they cried for mercy and Jesus healed them. You see, mercy doesn't just apply to the sinner. Mercy applies to the sick. It's not just, it's not just for, the, for the sinner. It's not just the sinner who needs mercy. God will not just respond in mercy to the sinner. He'll respond in mercy to the sick. Why? Because he's full of mercy. He delights in mercy. He's gracious. He's disposed to show mercy. It's what he does. Put yourself in position. Just, just get yourself where God can, can exercise that mercy without having to violate some other principle of the word of God. Like pride, self-righteousness, thinking you deserve something. Put all those things aside. Come to God humbly. It doesn't matter who you are. Amen. The Bible says God is good to all, even to the unthankful and evil. God's good to all. 
These people who got healed in the New Testament, we, we talked last week about the lady whose little girl was demon-possessed. Like I said, she didn't get demon-possessed by going to Sunday school. Maybe, some of them, I don't know. But no, you don't get demon-possessed by doing good. Jesus said to the woman, great is your faith. Your daughter, have it, have what you desire. It's according to your faith, unto you according to your faith. She went home, her, her little girl was healed. Go with me to the 15th chapter of Matthew. We'll close with this. Matthew 15. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Verse 32. Now verse 29 through 31 talks about the lame, the blind, the maimed, many others, and he healed them. The whole multitude said marveled when they saw the, the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus, verse 32, called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And you know what happened? The fish and the loaves, 4,000 men plus women and children were fed. They took up the, the, the uh, fragments that were left over. Why did, he, why did he meet their needs? It says he had compassion. He said, he said out of his own mouth, I have compassion on the multitude because they're hungry. See, God's compassion doesn't just meet the needs of the sinner, doesn't just meet the needs of the sick. It meets any need, any earthly need, common demand, ordinary, everyday provision. God is merciful. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because God is love. Jesus is love. He demonstrated the love of God. Oh, hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.